Man. Well, um, some of you know my story, some of you don't. And uh, as, I've, as I stand up to preach, I often talk about some of the jobs that I've worked over the course of my, you know, uh, my adult life. And when I look back on all the jobs that I've worked and the positions that I've held, it's, it's strange, but it's, and it's very interesting to note that all of those jobs have kind of, for the most part, kind of helped me, you know, do what I do today. The skills and the experiences and the things that I picked up along the way strangely really helped me to, to do what I'm doing right now, which is pastor and help lead this church. I mean, I've had a wide range of jobs since I graduated high school. I was a donut specialist at Dunkin' Donuts when I was, when I came out of high school. I was, I worked there as a dishwasher in the dining hall when I was at the university. I worked at the ice arena. I used to drive the Zamboni. I'll tell you about that. That seems to be uh, an interesting thing that people are interested in. I think I've actually gotten jobs because Zamboni driver was on my resume. In fact, I've been in interviews where I've talked more about driving the Zamboni than the job that they were interviewing me for. But I drove the Zamboni. I've worked at Christian bookstore. I worked at a large church. I even worked in t- uh, TV, at TV uh, news station, which is actually what I went to school for. And all were very beneficial and all those things really helped me. But I think the most uh, significant job in terms of what helps me do what I do right now was I spent about three years working in sales and marketing. I worked for a company called Bedloft.com. And basically what we did is we marketed Bedlofts, microfridges and little futons to college campuses all across the country, especially in the Midwest. And if you wonder what a Bedloft is, that's a Bedloft. It basically takes your bed and it lofts it, puts it up in the air so that you can maximize the floor space in your room. So a friend of mine who owned a company hired me, and I spent the last three years before I moved here to plant this church working as a salesperson and account manager for that, um, for that particular company. And I would say that those three years that I spent in sales and marketing have been perhaps the most uh, beneficial in terms of gaining experience and confidence. Make quite a bit of money as a salesperson. I do miss that from time to time. But I really, really appreciated working there. One of the reasons I liked working there is because I had, a, I had a, a boss that was a really good salesperson. And he really taught me how to be a salesperson. Basically, he taught me that I was a salesperson. And one of the things that my boss used to always say, and he usually wasn't smiling when he said this, was he'd say something like this. He said, man, we left money on the table. We left money on the table. And some of us heard that, you've heard that expression before. And basically what he meant when he said that, he was basically kind of chewing one of us out because we missed a very important opportunity to make more money or to increase our product line at a school or something like that. He said, you know, we left money on the table. Maybe we could have charged $105 for the loft and we only proposed $100. So each unit, we've lost $5 on that unit. And he would say angrily, man, we left money on the table. We can't keep doing that. And so what I learned as I was going and making these pitches and writing these proposals is, listen, my goal is to not leave any money on the table. My goal is to not miss any opportunities to gain an advantage in so much as it involves and includes me. And I've adopted that particular goal to not leave any money on the table as a personal goal for my personal life and my personal life with Jesus and basically every aspect of my life. There's not a single opportunity that the Lord puts before me that I want to miss out on. 
There's not a single God-given opportunity, whether it be in this church, whether it be in my personal spiritual life, whether it be with my family, whether it be in my marriage, whether it be with my relationships and my friends, there's not a single opportunity, man, that I ever want to miss that God puts before me. But sadly, as a pastor and as a Christian leader, as somebody who's you know, sort of on the ground level of helping young disciples grow and mature in the faith, one of the things that I see over and over is that God's people, man, we leave a whole lot of money on the table. We leave a whole lot of money on the table. There's lots and lots of stuff that God wants to do in us, that God wants to do to us, that God wants to do through us, that we simply miss out on for one reason or another. Plenty of missed opportunities. And usually those same people that are missing all of these opportunities are usually clueless as to why. Wondering why life is passing them by. Wondering why God seems to be using others and not using them. And it's always confounding to them why all these opportunities are missed. But when I'm looking at their life, I usually can tell that they have put themselves on the sidelines. And because they're on the sidelines, they're leaving a whole lot, whole lot of money on the table. They're leaving lots of opportunities that God has put before them on the table. And my goal is to not leave any money on the table. My goal is to encourage you and us as a church to not miss any opportunities that God would set before us in this new calendar year. And I think one of the ways to make sure that we don't miss any opportunities is that we go all in. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the importance of going all in. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I began a series that I called All In. And basically what we've been saying is that the key to a great year is not going to be some clever slogans that we come up with or a long list of resolutions that we're sure to forget before we flip the calendar page to February. But the goal for us this year is to put Jesus at the center of our entire lives and to push everything in and to invest everything that we are on God and his stuff. If we want an investment, excuse me, a return like we've never gotten, I think we're going to have to invest in ways that we've never invested before. If we want to, 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 for God to bless us and to pour out things on us, I think that we'll have to slide in a larger share of ourselves and to invest and, for, and give God a little bit more to work with this year. And that's just one of the goals of where we said we're going this year as we go all in. And last, uh, excuse me, a couple of weeks ago, we, ta- we started this series uh, with a message that I called All In with Jesus. And we used as a main text um, Paul's letter uh, to the Christian church, uh, Colossians. Uh, we looked at uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And basically what we set forth was that Christ is supreme. We looked at Paul. He was saying Christ is supreme. In other words, Christ deserves to be supreme in our life. He deserves to be at the center of everything else. In our life, and uh, Paul also talked about in chapter two the sufficiency of Christ, and that Christ is enough. So not only is Christ supreme, but Christ is enough. He's everything that we need. So Paul made a very strong case, which we walked through a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus deserves to be at the center of our life. And today I want to conclude this series with a message that I'm calling. All in with SSV. And SSV, if you don't know, is just an acronym for South Suburban Vineyard. Or all in in your local church. All in in your local church. Some of you may not know this, but I really believe in this thing we call the church. 
I really believe that the vehicle of the local church is what God has chosen to use to get much of the transformation done in the people and in this broken world. The vehicle of the local church is what God will use, for the most part, to transform this broken, fallen world, and is what he will use, for the most part, to transform us, his people. And it's because I believe in the local church and what Jesus sets forth this church to do in the earth that I believe that we as a people, if we give ourselves in a healthy way to it, we will see some some really significant movement in our lives. We'll see ourselves move closer to our mission, our goals, our vision. We will have more fruitful lives than we've experienced when we've just sort of been freelancing this thing and just kind of living for ourselves. So I've called this message this morning, All in with SSV. And some of you are visiting, you're from other churches today, and you say, well, um, what do I do while you're talking about being all in at SSV? What do I do? Well, this is a general message for what it basically means to be all in at your local assembly, your local community of faith. Uh, so you can take this back to your pastor and just tell him that this is on the house. He can thank me later for this. But man, we're going to get into it today. I really believe that this is a really strong key for us receiving and walking in what God has for us to receive. And I just pray that we can get into it today. So before I begin, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, to gather with your people, to gather in your name, according to your purposes and according to your mission, Father. Lord, I know that you would have some challenging things for me to say this morning. So, Lord, I just pray that you would just suck all of the offense out of the room. Lord, that would you, would you have these words just connect in the spirit in which they're given? Father, would we give you permission this morning to challenge us, Lord, to move us in your direction? And Father, I pray that you would uh, move me out of the way this morning. Lord, uh, that your word and your truth may shine through. Lord, would you just decomplicate this this morning so that your people can receive and respond to what you would say? I thank you in advance for all you're going to do today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I think a very important starting point in general, but especially as we talk about what it means to go all in here at SSV and in a local church, I think the starting point is this. We have to understand, we have to realize, we have to internalize this foundational truth, and that truth is this, that it's not about you. It's not about you. And I just know that there's something, there's a tinge of offensiveness even just in that sentence. And to soften that, I want to remind you that it's not about me either. When I say it's not about you, I'm not supposing that it's about me. I'm basically saying it's not about us. And this reality, whether it be church or otherwise, that life is not about you, that the world doesn't revolve around you, at least it shouldn't, is a life-changing perspective. It's a course-altering perspective reality that those of us who consider ourselves purpose-driven or purpose-centered, specifically God's purpose-centered, we must realize, we must embrace, we must walk this out. Otherwise, life's going to be real complicated for you. Relationships going to be real complicated for you. Life is going to be filled with disappointments. Your relationship with Jesus is going to be woefully unsuccessful. It's going to be very confusing unfulfilling, unsatisfied if we approach this thing with the faulty notion that this is about us. Because it's not. 
And we talk all the time about being purpose-driven people, understanding that God has given each and every one of us a God-given purpose, and it's through that purpose that we're supposed to live out our life as husbands, as wives, as church members, and the list goes on and on. And I feel the need regularly to, to center us on a pur- our purpose, which is found all throughout Scripture, but specifically in Matthew chapter 22, uh, starting at verse 36. Somebody comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And I know this is the first time we've ever read this before in this church. And people are chuckling for those of you who are visiting because we basically mention this in some shape or fashion each and every week because it sits at the very foundation of who we are. It's the very essence of our purpose. It's what we should be doing as followers of Jesus. And everything that God asks us to do and everything that God forbids us or tells us not to do is centered around these things. We are to love God with all of our mind, soul, spirit, all of our stuff. And we are to love people radically, radically. And in case you missed it, there's nothing in there that says, make sure you really look after yourself. Make sure you work really hard to preserve yourself. Spend lots and lots of time cultivating your own self, looking after your own interests. Make sure you do that. But maybe, maybe that's not in the version that I have, but I don't see that anywhere in here. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And even I can understand that that whole love your neighbor as yourself can seem, uh, can be a little confusing. And some of us, when we read that, we read, you know, pay forward uh, what's been given to you. However somebody's treated you, let's just make sure you don't treat anybody any less. Or the, the broken ways that love has been shown to you or things that have been done to you in the name of love, just pay that same thing forward. And many of us know if we did that, then we'd be in worse shape than when we started. And I like how Jesus clarifies this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. In other words, I'm going to call into sharper focus the greatest commandment, specifically the one that deals with loving others. In case you're confused about what it means to love people, in case you're confused about what I expect when I say to love people, guess what? Love people in the way that I've loved you, in a sacrificial way, in the way that puts yourself out for the benefit of others. In a way that shows a just sort of radical others-mindedness. Jesus says, love in that way. So that at my own hurt, I'm going to love you. In a way that causes me to miss some opportunities or me to not get the best or the things that I wanted, I'm going to love you. If I have to miss out, if I have to, you know, take the back row or take the back seat in the interest of loving you, because that's what Jesus did, that's the type of sacrificial love that Jesus expects from us. And that type of love should sit at the very base of this whole thing that we call the church, this Christian community. And sadly, it doesn't. But the reality is, if we really embrace this, And if we really are others-minded like the scripture tells us that we should be, then everybody's going to be taken care of. 
If everybody takes care of others, then everybody's taken care of. I'll say that again. If everybody is others-minded, then there's not a single person in the community that is falling through the cracks. But guess what? If everybody's focused on themselves, everybody's trying to make sure they get, get, they get the best and that their interests are met, guess what? There's a lot that we stand to lose and there's a lot that gets lost. And I am, I'm, I'm a stickler for this stuff, but I've not always been. In fact, I think back to about 10 years ago, I was a young sort of up-and-coming leader in a larger vineyard church that we planted out of in Champaign. And I was a part of a young adult ministry that was sort of getting off the ground and had a couple of small groups. And I was one of the leaders that was helping that young ministry get off the ground. And I must admit to you that I was just a very selfish individual, very self-centered, legalistic, combative individual And I just could care less about people. I I wouldn't have maybe articulated it like that at the time. But I just could care less about people. And everything was about me. So the poor guy that was charged with discipling me and pastoring me would often send me emails or tell me about different meetings and different social gatherings. I'm a strong introvert, by the way, in case you didn't know that. And he would say, hey, we're having this leaders meeting over here, or we're having this gathering over here, this, that, and the other. And without fail, I would always send him this reply. Is it mandatory? Is, is it mandatory? Is this something that we have to be at? Now, now that I pastor and that I lead, I realize now that I just need to send him maybe a gift or something or just write out a nice apology because that must have been nerve-wracking. To get from your leaders a response that asks, is it mandatory? Is it something that I have to be in? And some, one, one day I said that to him in person. I asked him again. I'm so self-absorbed that I thought nothing. And I said, hey, is it mandatory? And he says, you know what? You don't have to come to anything you don't want to come to. And I could tell that he was frustrated. I could tell that he was annoyed. I could tell that he was angry. But what he said to me next really changed the course of my life. He said to me, he said, you want to be a pastor, right? He said, how are you going to be a pastor and you don't even like people? (laughs) He said it just like that. In that tone of voice, didn't mix any words. He said, how are you going to be a pastor if you don't even like people? Of course, I didn't appreciate his tone at the time. Didn't appreciate the words he spoke to me at the time. But those words that he spoke to me has changed the course of my life. Changed it forever. Changed it forever. And if you ever wonder why I say the things that I say, or don't pull any punches with you, it's because the reality is the, the large leaps that I've made toward Jesus, the, 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 the ground that I've, when I've been covering the most ground, when the, light, the most life-altering things have happened in my life, it's usually come as a result of somebody saying to me the things that I needed to hear, the way I needed to hear them. And this guy said these words to me, and it's changed my life. Made me look at how self-centered I was, and self-focused I was, and antisocial, and how pharisaic I was, and judgmental, which was only a way to hide my own secret sins and to mask my own secret sins and selfish pride. 
But slowly what the Lord began to do as a result of those words sinking down into my heart, as he put that mirror in front of me that showed me who I really was, what God began to do is download over these years, little by little, is is a love for people that I never experienced before. And by love for people, I mean a genuine care and concern for their well-being. The more I love people, the more I thought of them, and more I considered them, the less and less and less I considered myself. And God downloaded within my heart a love for people, and I've never been the same since. I've never been the same since. And since I begin to see God do this work in my heart, and since I get to see God do that same work in others' hearts, I begin to also see that the thing that really draws people to Jesus Christ is not the things that we think draw them. It's not the cleverly worded tracks, you know, that we can put together. It's not just how, how much, you know, the King James Version you've memorized and you can recite, you know, just off of memory. None of those things really matter. That stuff impresses church people. But the thing that draws broken, cynical people out from their world that just, where they're just basically breathing to death, what draws them into the arms of Christ, what draws them into God's plan and purpose for their life, is nothing other than Christian love. Christian love. That somebody would lay their own life down for their benefit. It's all this silly stuff that we've learned to be impressive to one another. It's when you show up at somebody's house when they can't get out of their door because of the snow and you show up with a couple shovels and you show up with a snowblower and you say, listen, I'm here to shovel your walk for free. And you run from them as we do when they try to offer us a donation. If I could put into words the look on the faces of this woman, some who you know, are just basically crying on their porches as we shovel their walk and shovel their snow. Is the, the, the look, if I could describe it, the look would be, who does this? Who does this? What are you people up to? What's your angle? Who, who does this? And I could see that when we leave their driveway, that we've made an impression on them. We've made an impression on them. And that's one expression of good Oh, Christian love. And it's through this expression of love and this thorough understanding that this is not about me in the least bit is what really, is what really transforms the world and what really transforms us. The world isn't looking for selective piety and these sort of, sort of silly things that we do to impress one another. They're looking for good, genuine Christian love, an understanding that we know that this is not about us. That's the essence of what Christian community embodies. And without that, we can't really hope to have a very healthy Christian community in this church. But there's something that I've noticed as I've been around church my entire life. As my wife and myself try to build a healthy community here, Sometimes we realize uh, that sometimes church can can be complicated, which is very frustrating because it's not supposed to be. Church can be complicated, but it's not supposed to be. And here we are trying to cultivate this place that is just flowing and oozing welcome and love and acceptance and the kingdom of God. And a lot of the times, what's standing is the way in the way is the fact that this has just gotten really complicated 
over time. And sometimes these complications uh, cause us to go into this sort of self-preservation mode rather than being others-minded. And I'll just jog through a couple of the complications before I get into the specific steps that I want us to work out within the next calendar year. One of the things that really makes church complicated, Christian community complicated, is abuse. Abuse. One of the most frustrating things as a pastor is that, you know, I'm often playing cleanup when a new person comes. What I mean by that is a person's come from a church that wasn't quite healthy, an abusive leadership situation, and I'm already starting in the basement with that person because they're skeptical of me. They're skeptical of our organization. And they've taken a huge risk to go into another church because of the last experience was so poor and so harmful to them. And usually as I talk to people and they let their guard down, what I typically find is that there's been some form of abuse that happened at the hands of somebody who called themselves a man or a woman of God. And it's really unfortunate. Somebody forgot to tell this pastor or this leader that it wasn't about them. Somebody forgot to tell this pastor or leader that they weren't building their own kingdom, but rather they are building and extending the kingdom of God. And things have gotten really complicated. Somebody forgot to tell these leaders that instead of making armor bearers, they should be making disciples. And so within this mix of building their own kingdom, perhaps they got, you know, they, they were shown a poor example, a wrong example. And they were just sort of paying for the things that were shown and done to them. God's people get trampled and they get abused. And because of that, God's church... His people are forever at an arm's length. And even if they have the courage to try to give it another go with another church, there's always this layer of complication that keeps them on the fringes of things rather than being in the the thick of it. Abuse. The other thing is legalism, right? Legalism. And legalism, simplified, is an overemphasis on the do's and the don'ts. An overemphasis on the legalities of things, of the rules and regulations. Don't get me wrong, the boundaries that God has drawn are very important. They're necessary for our own safety and for the sake of the church at large. But those that choose to be legalistic, for whatever reason, they impose this whole standard that is just heavy. They make the do's and the don'ts the main event And it wasn't designed to work that way. And that bogs people down. It gives them this sort of complex. They internalize this stuff. They're very hard on themselves. And all of a sudden, the life that's supposed to come out of a community of faith, the hope and the joy, is exchanged uh, by something that presses you down, that robs your joy, that makes you hyper-aware and hyper-sensitive to whether or not you're keeping the rules and whether or not you're hitting on all cylinders and whether or not God is mad with you or he loves you. And it really serves to make something that really is quite simple. It really serves to make it extremely complicated. And so the fruit of that is we start to put God's people and we start to put God's stuff at an arm's We internalize this legalism, and it really destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with other people. Another thing that makes this complicated is somebody paints for us, either intentionally or unintentionally, usually unintentionally, a poor picture of who Jesus really is. 
a poor picture of who Jesus really is. And we're talking about what it means to be all in in a local community, all in in the church. And Paul set forth, Paul, as we set, Paul, as we set forth a few weeks ago, set forth Christ as the head of the church. And what happens when a poor picture or an incomplete picture or an embellished picture of who Jesus is sits at the head of the church, the whole thing is jacked up. So either through poor theology, an overemphasis on doctrine, or just miseducation about who Jesus is, we get paint up, somebody paints a poor picture of who Jesus is, and it screws the whole thing up. And because of that, it complicates something, man, that was supposed to be simple. I didn't say easy, but it was supposed to be simple. It's supposed to be life-giving. It's supposed to be awesome. It's supposed to be something you clamor and you run towards, but instead... You look at it suspiciously now. And I think, personally speaking, that somebody's going to give an account when they stand before the Lord. Those that have complicated this. Those that have taken this life-giving gift that God has given to us. Somebody's going to give an account for making this harder than it's supposed to be. Somebody's going to give an account for making this confusing when it's perfectly understandable. And my job, I feel personally responsible for decomplicating the Christian faith, decomplicating Christian community, and showing you its beauty and all that God designed for it to be. Because these things and more that I named here really serve to make this something other than what it should be. And so the problem is, the result is you have this sensitivity when you're challenged. You have this sensitivity when, God, when, when you hear God issuing a challenge or when somebody asks you to show up to something or when God expects a lot from you because, trust me, he does. And some of us have never heard that before. Let me tell you, if you're hearing it for the first time, God expects a lot from you. A lot from you. In fact, when he calls out to us, he says, come and die. Right? That doesn't fill a lot of chairs. But I didn't write it. He says, come and die. But God expects a lot from us. He expects a lot, expects a lot from us. But guess what? When you've been abused, when you've been settled with legalism, and when somebody's painted for you a poor picture of Jesus, all of a sudden, when, when you hear a challenge, when somebody calls you to lean in, when somebody calls you to go deeper and to give your life to other people and give your life to God's stuff and to set him at the center and build your life around his stuff, all of a sudden, instead of saying, yeah, that's what God expects of me, because somebody complicated this thing, all of a sudden, you bristle. You feel like you're being abused again. You feel like somebody's expecting too much again. You feel those feelings that you felt when somebody was abusing you or saddling you with legalism. And I just want to name that stuff today. I want to call it out. And for those of you who are struggling with any of those things, let me just apologize as an official of the church. I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm sorry that somebody abused you or misused you in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. I'm sorry on behalf of the church that somebody saddled you with this internal unhealthy sense of legalism. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that somebody painted for you a poor picture who Jesus is. I'm really sorry about that. But I want to challenge you today that we move past those things today. And that no longer will those things be an excuse for us to stay on the sidelines. 
No longer would those things be an excuse or a reason for us to miss opportunity after opportunity to be blessed by God and be the conduit of blessing for others. That today will be the last day that legalism and abuse will be our excuse for missing opportunities that God has given us. Today will be the last day that that excuse would be used that we didn't go all in because we couldn't trust God. We didn't go all in because we didn't know if that particular preacher or that particular church was the real deal. Let today be the last day. I think God is building for himself an uncomplicated church. There's an army rising up that is desiring to strip away all of the religious stuff that doesn't mean anything, that doesn't transform people's lives, that doesn't bring any freedom. We're looking to strip away everything that doesn't matter and focus on the main and plain. Focus on the gospel, man, and focus on the thing that transforms lives and will get us to where God wants us to be. That's the type of church that I want to build here. And the type of folks that I want to come along with, with me are people who are looking for an uncomplicated church. And an uncomplicated church has uncomplicated members, and it's led by uncomplicated leaders. And I'm just letting you know that that's what I aspire to build here ever so slowly, ever so faithfully. And my challenge and charge for you to go all in is a challenge for you and a charge for you to join me in building for us an uncomplicated church. I think three specific things will be the key to us building that type of church. Three specific things will be the key for us going all in. And I just want to sort of jog through these things. And if you would, if you would lean into these things in this year, I, I just, it just makes me giggle to consider what God would do in and through us. I don't giggle very often. But I giggle sometimes, man, when I just think about what God wants to do to this church. And I know that a mobilized people with the same heart and the same mind is probably going to be the only thing that gets this stuff done. So let me jog through these really quickly. The first thing that we need to do, each and every person, talking about going all in, is to show up. To show up. I know you were waiting for something earth-shattering. You know, pastor's been, you know, in his prayer closet all week. He's been fasting. What are you going to drop on us now? Show up. You can't hardly do anything, anything without showing up. There's a quote floating around the Internet, and depending on which version you get, it says 80 to 90 percent. I mean, any variation of those in between, 80 to 90 percent of success is showing up. And that's a good number. It's somewhere from 80 to 90 percent, wherever that quote originated. But I believe that, man. 80 to 90 percent of success is showing up. A good chunk of what it means to take advantage of opportunities that are presented is being in the right place at the right time. I remember our church planting training and, and, you know, one of the guys that was teaching that particular unit, he says, listen, man, just be very slow and almost never cancel events. He says, almost never cancel events. He said, you can think of a million reasons to cancel events. Not the least of which is, you know, um, what if nobody shows up? Well, he says, they certainly won't show up if you cancel it. And so what were they trying to do? They were trying to drill in us this whole notion of, Listen, being present is, is the first step in a lot of these processes. And some of us really miss out on this, man. The devil can keep you at home. Yeah. 
to keep you focused on yourself and keep you focused on what didn't go right or what you don't particularly like or who made you mad and keep you at home, he's won the battle. And if he's won the battle, then guess who lost? You. Can't do much of anything without showing up. And some people don't mind showing up as long as it's on their terms, as long as it's on their turf. You know, I'll go to that if it's something that I'm interested in. I'll go to that if I will get an immediate benefit. I go to that if, you know, I'm really into what they're doing. But, you know, it's got to be on my terms and preferably on my turf. Preferably on my turf. And I just want to tell you that every event, everything that we put on the calendar is in line with our mission and our vision and our values and where we say we're going as a church. And many of you fell in love with that mission and vision. We print it in the bulletin each and every week. And some of us just love looking at the mission. We love how it's worded. We even like the font. What font is this? This is beautiful. But when it comes to showing up, when it comes to walking the thing out, all of a sudden it's a different story. But let me just tell you, everything we spend our money on, your, your, your hard-earned dollars that you give to this ministry, Everything that we schedule is something that we've decided was in step with what you've agreed was the mission and vision that you want to attach yourself to. In fact, we've even, we even take events off the calendar if they no longer serve the purpose that we thought they'd serve. So part of what's going to really mobilize this church is if we really begin to show up and take these things very seriously. I read somewhere this week that it says showing up is just a sign of caring. It's one of the major signs that you care about something. And I'm not talking about that specific event or that specific thing. It means that you care about the overall mission of what we're doing and that this is just one of the installments, uh, one of the steps in fulfilling that whole mission and that whole, uh, that whole sense of um, we're doing something together as a community of faith. Listen, call me old-fashioned or old-school, but I grew up in a church culture where, man, the, the question we were asking ourselves is, what are we doing? Not what are we doing, like, in this sort of cynical way, but, like, what is my church doing? They have an outreach, put it on the calendar. I wouldn't miss it. There's a special service. Dude, I'm going to be there because this is, this is my house. This is where I, this is where I attend. Oh, we're doing this moment. We're doing this outreach event. Listen, what are we doing? I'm there. Wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't miss it. And I think that we've sort of gotten away from that. I think that some of that can get unhealthy. Let me just acknowledge that. Especially if the mission isn't sharp and the values aren't, you know, focused. Things can just get kind of hairy and you look up and you're in church every day, you know. Doing something every single day. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there used to be a commitment to the local church to say, listen, what is my church doing? I, I wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't dare stay home unless there was a really, really good reason to do so. But I think what's taken hold of us is that there's a consumer mentality that's invaded the church. There's a consumer sort of outlook that we approach uh, our community of faith you know, with that we used to, we, we didn't do that particularly before. And basically what we ask ourselves is, you know what, will I get something out of that? Means, I'll go to that if I will immediately benefit. I'll get something, you know, I'll go to that if it, it, it will immediately serve me. 
But what we fail to realize is sometimes it's not about what you can get out of it. Maybe just your presence there at that thing will give the thing the boost that it needs to be fruitful. Maybe there's another hand needed at that thing that you're considering whether or not you'll participate in. Maybe there's a word that God wants to speak through you, somebody that God wants you to throw your arms around and encourage. Sometimes, you know, it's not about us, you know, exclusively. We'll never come to that understanding if we are basing, if we're deciding and making decisions as to whether or not we'll show up, either physically show up or show up in our heart or be into it or be excited about it. If we're only deciding on the basis of, does this suit me? Does this fit me? And I know many people, particularly if somebody's made this complicated for you, if they've abused you, if they've asked too much of you, that sometimes we're exercising our freedom and we exercise that freedom by just being absent. I say, I don't have to go to that, so I'm not. Nobody's going to make me go to that. And when somebody says, hey, we really need you to be at this event, what you hear is, you better be here else we're going to be mad at you. You better be here, otherwise you're not saved. You may not make it in, you know. So all these feelings cause you to bristle. And again, you put God's stuff and you put Christian community at an arm's length. And what inadvertently happens is it becomes about you. It becomes about you and not about others and not about the mission and not what God wants to do through this community and through these people together. All of a sudden, it becomes about you And when it's about you, oftentimes we choose not to show up. But can I challenge you today to show up? To show up, if you can, to show up. Can we make a promise to you that the things that we schedule will be meaningful, that will be worth our time, our energy, and effort, and that we will only schedule things, and that we'll only ask you to come to things that are meaningful, and that work toward our vision and our values of blessing this community and transforming this community, we promise you that. What if we all just decided, man, we're going to show up this year. If I can make it, I'm going to show up. If I can make it, I'm going to show up. If I can make it on Saturday when we're serving the poor over in Harvey, I'm going to show up. Me getting a little more sleep is not more important, in most cases, than serving the poor. Our church has built a ready-made outlet. All I got to do is show up and smile and give away some canned goods. If that's all I got to do, I'm going to show up. Our church has corporate prayer a couple times a month. Listen, I'm going to show up to one of those because that's meaningful, because that matters. Our Sunday morning worship services, I'm not going to take that lightly. I'm going to be there if I can be there because nothing happens for me or for somebody else if I don't show up. I think that's one of the keys, man. Whether this is your church or you go someplace else, listen, we got to show up. We got to show up. We have to show up. And once you show up, I think the next step is to step up. The next step is to step up. Because some people, listen, some people, I'm just, I'm glad you're here. I know your story, and I know it's all you could do, man, to just make it here. So I'm happy that you're here. Some of you have heard your story, heard your background, and the fact that you took another risk on another church, considering what you came out of, is a miracle. And listen, don't mishear me today. I am glad you are here. But once you get in the door, there's another step. You get a step up or step forward, right? And I just want to focus our attention on the fact that this is, 
this is a stewardship thing, right? It wasn't that God is just upstairs, you know, up in heaven, just sort of rolling the dice and just sort of pulling names out of the hat and go, oh, okay, Jenny, I pulled this name out, so you go to the vineyard. I'm just sort of randomly pulling names and putting people places arbitrarily. I firmly believe that God is strategically putting people where he wants them. I know you thought you came here because your job moved you here. That's probably fine and everything, man. But God had need for you here in this community. We needed you here. So when God strategically places you someplace and you choose to sit on the back row, not, not to anybody who's on the back row, proverbially back row. You guys are cool back there, okay? Basically, we're missing something. We're missing something, man. God sends you someplace because your skill set, your experience, what's your, your gift mix, what he's put in you, he wants for a season of time, whether it be short or long, to bless that community and bless you through that community. But guess what? When you don't show up and when you don't step up and when you just kind of lay in the cut and you're Mr. or Mrs. Cool, guess what? The community is missing out. And guess what? The work that God wants to do in your heart and in your life is being, un, is being left undone because we're taking it easy. We're taking it easy. But I believe that we'll have to give an account, man, for what we did with what God gave us. I wish I had time to read the passage in Matthew 25 where Jesus tells the parable of the talents, where Jesus gives these three guys, these talents, you've got one guy five, give one guy two, and gives another guy one. And some of you know this story, the guy with five and two, they went out and they did something with it. They invested it and they doubled it. The guy with one, man, he just sat on it. He buried it. He's afraid of losing it. Frankly, he was lazy. And when the master came back for these guys to give an account for what they'd done and how they'd managed his resources, man, he blessed the guys that did something with it. Blessed them. And he dealt sternly, strongly with the guy who did nothing. He said, you wicked, lazy servant, get out of my face, dude. Get out of my face because you did nothing. You did nothing with what I gave you. And I think within the context of Christian community, as we realize that this is not about us, that it's about what we can do to serve others and for the greater glory of God, when we really begin to see it that way, we dare not, we dare not, Sit on our gifts and our talents. We dare not sit on our resource. We dare not lay in the cot and let somebody else do it. And those of you who've been in church for a while, you know that Christian communities, churches all over the world are characterized by what? A few people doing everything and the larger chunk of people just coming and enjoying it. Right? A few people giving sacrificially and a few people just coming and just reaping the benefits of others' generosity. A few people serving, coming early, staying late to get, make all of this happen. And just the larger, you know, chunk of that just sort of coming in and grazing. I came in for, for to hear a word from the Lord today. I came in to get a touch, you know, to get a fresh, you know, dip today. What would what, you bring to the party? What would you bring to the party? What'd you come to, to share? What'd you bring to share? You've got gifts, you've got talents, you've got resources. What'd you bring today? And that's what I mean when I say step up. What would this community look like? And this is a pretty awesome community, by the way. 
And we have a larger percentage than average of people giving and people uh, uh, um, serving. I'm really proud to, to pastor this church. But what would it look like, folks, if this entire community, each and every person that called this place their home, would say, you know what, this is my tribe. This is where I'm going to plant roots. This is where I'm going to deposit my gifts and my resource and my talents and my skill set. This is where I'm going to contribute. What might we do for the kingdom of God? How might we bless this community of all of us instead of just showing up? I'm glad we showed up, but we decided that we'd also step up. Man, how much fruit might we bear? How changed might we become? How more, more aware of God's presence and his mission and his values might we be able to interact with if we not only showed up, but we also stepped up? And finally, perhaps, I don't know, this is probably the most important step, but it's pretty important, but to be transformed. To be transformed. Show up, step up. And to be transformed. Now, I think that this, this is a really good one to follow, step up. Because I really have found that it's really why I'm not shy about asking people to serve in the church. Because typically people feel like, well, they just, they just at, at that church, they like to use the people to get the work done. And that's, that's true. I mean, that's kind of how it works in Christian community. But what I've found most often is that we use the work to get the people done a lot of the times. We use the work to get the people done. There's something about ownership. There's something about you being connected and you serving that builds ownership, that builds a sense of community that lets you know that, hey, this is, I'm a part of this thing, right? And what I've seen over the years, almost without fail, is that people are transformed as they worked out that process. They showed up, they stepped up, and the next step is that they've been becoming transformed. And I think that this is how we pull this all together. What a shame it would be for you to spend all this time in church and not have any measurable difference in your life. What a shame it would be for you to spend clock all these hours in church, listening to all of these messages, going to all these small groups, and not have any measurable growth and change in your life. We wouldn't tolerate that in any other facet of our life. Right? We wouldn't go to a hairstylist and sit in a chair for an hour and a half only to have them do nothing, right? For the hand you the mirror and you look exactly the same, you wouldn't go, hey, great job. I'm really satisfied with the hour and a half I spent here. Or name anything. You wouldn't take your filthy car to a car wash, run it through, and like have it look the same when it comes out. We wouldn't accept that. We wouldn't stand for that. Listen, we want to speak to the manager. But Christians don't mind going to church forever and being absolutely the same. It confuses the mind. But I think that God demands that this place be a transforming place, that we be transformed. Paul says in Romans, the way that we submit our bodies, ourselves to God as living sacrifice, we allow him to change us from the inside out, change the way we think. That speaks of being transformed. That speaks of being made new. And so much of what God wants to do in us and get done through us is going to get done through this Christian community where you can show and feel God's love through people that you can see, you can feel, and you can touch. 
you can see what it means and see what it looks like for godly people to walk out love and acceptance and welcome in the midst of all the uh, negative things that exist in this world. To learn to see others how God sees them. To receive grace and forgiveness and learn what it looks like for godly people to, to say, I'm sorry when they mess up. And to love on you. And to show gratitude. You come to this place and you learn how to worship God. For those of us who didn't get the type of social education that we should have gotten from our parents, you come among healthy, God-fearing people and you learn how to love your kids. Learn how to raise them in the way of the Lord. Listen, those and many other things happen under the umbrella of healthy Christian community. And those things change and transform us. And every time I preach a challenging message about this, about this whole idea of Christian community and calling us all to greater responsibility, calling us all to a greater sense of leaning into this, I just need to remind you that the goal of saying, hey, make sure you show up and hey, make sure you step up isn't just so that we can have a higher you know, attendance count at the end of the day. The reason is, is that when you show up and when you step up, the real work begins to happen in our lives. The real transformation begins to take place. And I feel the need to just focus us in on why we're here. We're here to be changed. We're here so that when God looks at us, he sees a picture of his son in us. That we resemble Christ and we become more and more like him. And the super beautiful thing about this thing is that we are transformed. The world around us becomes transformed. Jesus calls us to go into the world and make disciples. He calls us to be salt and light, people that change the world. But guess what? If you haven't been transformed, you aren't going to transform anything. I say it again. If you haven't been transformed yourself, the love and the truth and the standard of Jesus Christ hasn't so arrested your soul that it causes you to live and love and serve and interact and treat people differently, guess what? You're not going to be impacting anybody outside of these walls. But let the love of Christ take a hold of your heart. Let you get a real understanding of who God is and what he expects from you and have that change you from the inside out. Guess what? People can't help but see it and can't help but be attracted to who you've become and what you stand for. Can can, can we just agree on that today? So listen, man, I, I really hope that you take this for what I really, uh, the, 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 in the spirit in which this has been given today. And many of us wonder about the 30-day fast. We're in the 30-day fast, and we've issued a 30-day challenge that we just kind of collectively lean into these things. But this is what the goal is, man. This is the goal is, to make us all more aware of what God wants to do in and through us. To open our eyes so that we can see all of the God-given opportunities that he set before us. To be just very aware of all the money that we've been leaving on the table, so to speak. All the opportunities that we've missed. And And we can say in this year that these things that God set before us, I will not let them pass me by. I will not let them pass me by. And I know a great deal of what God wants to do in and through us is going to be connected to this local assembly because I believe that the spirit of the Lord is here. And where the spirit of the Lord is, man, good stuff happens. Good stuff happens. So will you go all in with me this year? Will you make a pledge to show up 
when you can. You make a pledge to step up once you're here. And when you make a pledge to just not sit here and just let the stuff sort of wash over you, but to be transformed, let this stuff take root in your heart so that you can be transformed and so that the world around you can benefit from a changed and transformed heart. Would you agree with me to do that? Some of you, that's okay. Just Some of you, you need a day or two to think about it. That's fine. Worship team, why don't you come up? Listen, I'm serious about this, guys. I think this is going to be a breakout year for us. I think this is going to be a transformational year for us. And that's not just preacher talk, okay? That's, that's legit. But I think much of that depends on us. Listen, the Spirit of the Lord is here. He's going to do his part. I just vow to do mine. And I invite you guys along for the ride to do your part. And let's just watch God do some amazing things in and through us. I'm excited. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for the opportunities that you've given us, Lord. And God, you told me long ago that you didn't send my wife and myself and this team that moved here. You didn't send us here to just sort of flounder around and just just flail about and just wander in the dark. Father, you sent us here to thrive and to build your kingdom here and extend your kingdom here. And God, you set before us each and every year opportunities, Lord, and you want us to lay hold of those opportunities and produce much from them, Father. So, Lord, I just pray that each and every person that calls this place home, Lord, would just have a renewed sense of buy-in to this mission and vision, Lord, and that that buy-in would produce movement and momentum in their hearts, Lord. And I just pray that each and every person here would just bow to show up and step up, Father, and be transformed. God, would you supernaturally deal with the things that have complicated who we're supposed to be in you? Would you deal with the things that complicates church life and complicates your message and your vision? And Lord, I just pray that you would wipe away any excuse, any reason, Lord, for not doing as you've asked. God, give us strength and courage to live this life for you and to see the amazing things that you want to do in and through us. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.